1: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I literally think that morning it was 10 degrees out.
2: Thrown in the towel, done.
1: Because those are the things that are really gonna save your life.
2: And that job, I mean, it'll it'll test your mental strength, and physical ability. You're
1: frustrated with archery hunting as a kid. I decided I'd rather join the Navy, so I did that.
2: And then you went out in freezing temperatures just to see how long it would take to dry out.
1: Nobody had any idea that 9/11 was going to happen. And
2: you're pretty badass, man.
1: Keep you focused. Uh, save people from you know going into hypothermia.
2: You're awake for 24-plus hours at a time, and you're always cold. You're always wet with sweat and salt water.
1: My dad or my granddad did this or that, and it's like, yeah, they did. Absolutely, they were tough dudes.
2: It's like your old jockstrap in hockey, right? That job will kill you. Thanks again for tuning in to the Focus Hunting Podcast. This episode is the first episode as part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. Now, if you all aren't familiar with the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, in future episodes, we're going to get into who they are. But in the meantime, head over to their webpage at uh, waypointtv.com. Okay, on today's show, I talk clothing systems and how to stay warm and dry in the backcountry with Sitka's John Barclay. Now, if you all aren't familiar with John, just trust me, he's legit. He's a 25-plus year Navy SEAL. Make sure you go over and check out John's Instagram page. He's got tons of great survival and backcountry tips he shares over there. Just uh, head on over to Instagram, type in uh, J Barklow, That's J B A R K L O in that search uh, window. John's uh, John's also been on tons of other great podcasts, including Faro Cast, the FaroCast, the Wilder Initiative, uh, just to name a few. So make sure to check them out. And as always, head on over to FocusHunting.ca. Pick up any uh, gear you guys need and make sure you use that promo code PODCAST to receive 25% off. John, thanks for uh, coming on the show, man.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for asking, man. I, I always always take an opportunity to talk hunting if I can.
2: Yeah, no doubt. So uh, where are we hitting you up from today? Some uh, I'm outside of Bozeman, Montana,
1: a uh, place called Manhattan, uh, a little bit outside the about 30 minutes outside bozeman um yeah beautiful part of the state it's uh it snowed last last weekend so i'm still not convinced winter's over yet but it's feeling like it today
2: yeah a lot of you guys down at bozeman i had a guest on uh jared frazier from two percent he was from montana and, oh, my yeah. la- and my last guest uh sam aries from the wilder initiative podcast i think you've been on his show as well and uh he was yeah. he's, he's from down there as well so
1: yeah, Sam and I live about fifteen minutes from each other.
2: Oh no way! Cool. Yeah, yeah, he's <laughs> a neat guy. But yeah, I'd love to make it down there uh, one day for sure. So what's happening down in your neck of the woods? Uh, you guys get to hunt spring bear down there?
1: Yeah. So like I said, because of the because of the winter, I mean, there's still plenty of snow up in the high country. Um, I think my first day at turkey season this year, I, I literally think that morning it was ten degrees out. It felt like we should have been sitting in a whitetail stand. Um, so it's just started to warm up some of that snow's coming out of the high country. So yeah, about the middle, like right about now is when I start thinking about going out and looking for bear. Um, you know, those avalanche shoots will start receding and them green shoots will start coming up. And, um, and I'm not much of a shed hunter, but I'll definitely start going out and look for some bears here. Um, maybe the end of this weekend, but certainly next week.
2: Yeah, I had to uh I had to go on my phone real quick and do the quick uh conversion for temperatures I don't have it. Whenever we're up we're on Celsius here, so that's about minus twelve Celsius, which is that's pretty damn cold. Definitely uh...
1: it's pretty it was cold for turkey hunting, I can tell you that. I wasn't uh, I was ready for it, but I it didn't I wasn't appreciated. It wasn't appreciated, you know.
2: Yeah, I'm um, uh and the, and the
1: and the turkeys didn't want to play either.
2: You know, man, I am I'm done with turkey hunting. That's it. I'm done. I'm over it. <laughs> thrown in the towel done.
1: Yeah. I'm not going to tell you uh, I've had the best luck with them either, but, uh, but for I love spring people bears, that say, yeah. Oh yeah. Spring bear. But I, I love people that say Turkey hunting's like elk hunting. And I'm like, um, either you're insane or you've never actually elk hunted. Um, but, uh, I get it. I know what they're talking about, but,
2: uh, yeah, yeah. you know, and I might be guilty of saying the same thing, but I'm over it now. I've just, <laughs> I'm done with it, man. I'm just, I'm done that's all I'm gonna say is I'm done but I'm about the same as this is about the time from now till you know the middle of June is when I start getting serious about uh spring bear which I love to do
1: yeah exactly exactly yeah
2: yeah so uh you hunted was uh you hunt growing up like uh, early on in life
1: uh you know uh no um my dad hunted some birds here and there but no I'm really the first person in my family to a big game hunt, you know, for sure. And I don't know why, but I just, it was something I always wanted to do. It was always kind of, I was always reading about it, you know, back in the day in outdoor life and some of those national magazines. And, and so I'm a self-taught bow hunter, uh, you know, got my first bow. I think when I was 14 or 15, you know, taught myself how to shoot and I grew up in Ohio, so it's all whitetails. there. trying to hunt whitetails with the bow with no mentor, uh, to teach you was, was rough. Yeah, uh, but I had a blast. Like it's still some of my best, you know, hunting memories, but yeah, no, I'm self-taught man. So, uh, I always tough. dreamed about wanting to come out West, go to the mountains, you know, and, and hunt big animals. And, you know, I eventually got to make that happen.
2: Oh yeah. Where are you originally from?
1: Yeah. Uh, so Cleveland, Ohio, so kind of Northern oh, yeah. Ohio, right on, right on Lake Erie, oh, wow. um, you know, better known for walleye fishing than anything now, but um, but we did have some big whitetail back then, but, you know, I think we had a shotgun season that was five days, but archery season was like two months. And so that just attracted me to wanting to do it, be out in the woods that time of year. And, uh, you know, I killed, well, I never killed a deer when I was a kid, but uh, I killed a lot of squirrels with my bow.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's what my, uh, my youngest, he loves, uh, squirrel hunting with, or I'm sorry, not my youngest, my oldest, he loves squirrel hunting with his bow, but we're uh, only allowed a certain type of squirrel that's hard to hard to uh track down oh really yeah
1: but uh yeah it wasn't it wasn't an issue (laughs)
2: yeah yeah i bet i've talked to a few guys down there and it's uh squirrel hunting's pretty big for sure but uh but john you know after we first connected i did a bit of digging into you and uh you and your background and you know it, it didn't take uh very long for me to find out that uh that uh you're pretty badass man you spent uh over 25 years in the Navy. So maybe you can just tell us uh, a bit about that part of your life.
1: Yeah. So kind of when I got frustrated with archery hunting as a kid, I decided I'd rather join the Navy. So I did that and enlisted kind of out of high school. And yeah, I ended up doing that for 25 years and, you know, pretty diverse career. I, uh, I was a diver and did a bunch of dive in, you know, kind of all over the world, lived overseas, um, did that for a while. And then, um, went and started teaching the SEAL teams how to dive and do some of their special diving. And then uh, I wasn't sure I wanted to stay in the Navy. So I started uh, pursuing some qualifications to maybe become a mountain guide and kind of teach people how to climb and maybe be a hunting guide and just kind of live that life. Uh, That sounded pretty adventurous to me. And that was kind of, uh, that was kind of lucky on my part because uh, I was assigned to a seal team and I started teaching some climbing and, and things like that, just, um, to, to some of the platoons that wanted it. And nobody had any idea that nine 11 was going to happen. And so when nine 11 happened, uh, we had to quickly kind of bring a bunch of guys together, uh, and start teaching people how to go to Afghanistan. And I was one of those people that was kind of brought into the fold, uh, moved up to Alaska. We have a training detachment up there and, uh, you know, just started becoming completely immersed in, uh, you know, kind of stuff I do now, like uh, survival and, you know, all the clothing and equipment that goes with it and how you build it and how it works and how you teach people how to use it. Um, And I did that for a long time uh, until I just realized that my body was a little little broken down and not able to keep up with the young guys but the cool part was is I was able to do that and because I lived in Alaska I had all these amazing hunting opportunities at my disposal like doll sheep and brown bear and all these dream hunts you know people dream about down here uh and I was able to do all those uh while I was up there as well so it was a it was a good career and uh, I've been retired now for I don't know since 20 late 2014,
2: I guess. So yeah, gotcha. But I guess, uh, you know, all that firsthand knowledge of uh, harsh conditions in the backcountry and, uh, and how to survive is kind of what led you to your current role with Sitka, I imagine. So, um, you know, maybe you can just tell us, you know, how, and, and when you, you kind of got involved with Sitka and maybe what your role with them is.
1: Yeah. So when I was getting ready to retire, I wanted to work in the hunting industry. I wanted to do something that, you know, still fired me up and I was passionate about and, something I wanted to get up in the morning, you know, and do every day. And, you know, Sitka was kind of the company I wanted to work for. I was already kind of using their clothes and, you know, along with a bunch of other stuff. And, um, I knew they were in Montana. I wanted to move to Montana if I could. And, uh, it took a while, but, you know, I was able to leverage that experience, you know, from, from my military and my hunting kind of background. And it kind of aligned with what Sitka was doing, which, you know, Hey, we want to, we want to make the best clothing we can possibly make. Right. And, um, so, you know, my, my experience using it, my experience teaching, uh, how to use it. And then also my experience in help developing stuff, you know, for the government, um, it it is just kind of a lucky break for me that it kind of came together. And so I've been doing that, you know, I've been doing that almost seven years now.
2: Yeah. Cool. Well, you know, the reason I asked you on the show, John, was because I, you know, I kind of wanted to go over uh, building a complete cl- clothing system, and uh, you know, uh, what better person to pick their brain than than you know yourself, a guy who who voluntarily tortures himself trying these systems out. There, I, I heard you tell a story on another podcast there, and uh, you know, I can't remember whose podcast it was, but you took some Sitka gear, you put it in a bucket of cold water, and then you went out in freezing temperatures just to see how long it would take to dry out. So. Uh, I mean, you know, if a guy's willing to go through that, then that's the guy I want to hear from. Nah.
1: <laughs> well, it's funny because well, we use, we use that as, as, one of our training methods. Uh, but since I've been out, it, it, it's actually what I use when I test any piece of Sitka gear. Um, and I'll use it within a system that I, that I know works and then I'll put a new piece in, or it could be a new fabric or whatever uh i've done this the last believe it or not i've I've done what you described the last three weekends trying some new stuff i'm working on And, and the reason i do it is it's 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 kind of simulating a a worst case scenario and i'll get to to why here in a second but you know it's kind of simulating this worst case scenario and if if the clothing can perform under those conditions then it'll perform in any other conditions and so you know take it to the extreme and then you, you have full confidence that it's going to work, you know, for, for anything else. Um, because when I'm, when I'm putting together a clothing system, either, you know, in my garage before I head out on a hunt, or if I'm building something for the, for the, uh, for the company, um, it's got to manage moisture. And I know that doesn't sound super sexy, but but if you think about it, when we put these clothes on, um, if we're dry, then we're relatively comfortable, right? So um, if my, my clothing will manage moisture from the inside out, so that's, as an example, I'm sweating, I'm making my base layer wet, how quickly can it dry? So that's one way of managing moisture. And then the other way of managing moisture is from the outside in. So rain, snow, um, you know, crossing a creek, something like that. So you're always just trying to manage moisture from one direction or the other. And so that test I do is just a way to jump right to it. And as opposed to trying to force myself to hike up a mountain and completely saturate my base layer, which is kind of difficult to do and you dehydrate yourself. I just dunk it in a bucket of water and just get on with it.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it's funny. Um, my, uh, my father-in-law, he used to tell me he was, he was a big hunter. And, uh, you know, um, he used to always tell me, he said, well, there's knowledge and there's experience. Anyone can learn knowledge, but, uh, you have to gain experience and doing things like that definitely gains you the experience of these, cl- of this clothing. So that goes back to my previous statement. That's funny.
1: Um, well, it's very, it's very true, right? Cause if you don't, so as an example, if, you know, somebody's listening to this and you're like, well, I don't know, I've never had my system get wet. Um, then, then you're just going to believe me or whatever marketing, you know, from whatever company you, you, you know, brand you purchase from, which is fine, but the confidence you'll get, if you go and try it for yourself and you can do it safe and you don't have to be super uncomfortable, you know? Um, but all of a sudden you realize you're like, oh, wow, this really does work. Or maybe more importantly, yeah, maybe this doesn't work as good as I thought. And especially in the area that you're living Right. Those kind of northern countries or uh, northern uh, northern areas um, like Alaska and Canada and stuff like it's pretty harsh weather and um, it's a lot of moisture up there. So, you know, what what a guy could get away with in Arizona, he might not be able to get away with in in Canada.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. But uh, I think I'm going to take your word for it on that one. And uh, (laughs) yeah. Well, that's fine too i'll do it yeah so uh so maybe to start john maybe we can kind of work from the bottom or i guess uh maybe we'll uh we'll work from the bare ass out that'd be a more fitting uh phrase but uh you know for the guy who you know who retired his dad's old wool pants and hung up his stanfield sweater and uh and you know don't get me wrong there's uh there's nothing wrong with hunting in that gear. You know, my cousin wears exactly that and he's uh, he's killed more animals than I ever will. But, uh, but you know, for the guy who's looking to pick up some new gear, but has no idea what's the difference in clothing other than the camo patterns, what should he be looking, of, looking for in terms of, you know, socks, underwear, base layers, that type of thing?
1: Yeah, so I've kind of broke it down into you need eight pieces. So if you put together eight pieces of clothing, you can make a solid clothing system doesn't matter you know what brand um you know pick pick which one you want again i'm a proponent of testing it once you do it but but you only need eight pieces and that eight pieces uh will get you through you know most of most of the hunting season um and and i'll kind of walk you through it and and obviously there's some there's some choices you can make Um, but you only need to have eight pieces. And when you get eight pieces together, you know, you may be wearing, I mean, you could be wearing all eight at one time, but I mean, you could be wearing certainly three, if not four of those pieces. So you're not carrying a lot of gear, you know? Um, and so the first two are your base layer and I I call it the foundation of your system. Like you want to build a house on a good foundation. You want to build a clothing system on a good base layer. Um, You have the choice, you can pick wool or synthetic, totally up to you. Um, I like something lightweight. And, And really all a base layer is supposed to do is pull moisture off your skin. It manages that moisture on your skin. So if it's cold out and you sweat, you want that base layer to pull moisture away from your skin so you stay dry. And if it's hot out, you want that base layer to pull moisture away from your skin so that you cool from evaporation. That's all it does. And and that are two critical pieces, and um, you know, top and the bottom. And uh, if you're not wearing the bottoms necessarily because the weather's you know too warm, I at least carry them in the backcountry because you know the weather changes daily, sometimes hourly. So those are the first two pieces. And and if you want to, you know, jump in here, Kevin, and ask a question. If not, I'll just I'll just you know keep rolling until you do.
2: Yeah. Um. Good.
1: So that so that's the first two. So that's pieces one and two the next piece is your pants so soft shell pair of hunting pants um you have the choice basically between polyester and nylon and there's more choices here than than you know anybody could could manage their way through cargo pockets knee pads suspenders like whatever you want you can get in a in a hunting pant but that hunting pant is really the intent of that hunting pant is to protect you like to provide durability, uh, protects you from abrasion from rocks and, and brush and vegetation. Uh, it prevents, uh, you know, you directly getting wet from, you know, some, some light rain and it blocks a little bit of wind. So it, it just offers protection. I like to say it's your armor. Um, and you know, I like to pick a hunting pant that, you know, I basically put on my hunting pants when I leave the house and I don't come back I don't ever take them off till I come back. So it's just something I keep on when I sleep or whatever, you know? Um, so soft shell pair of hunting pants is, is number three. Um, the, the fourth piece is what I'll call active insulation. And the reason I say active insulation is because there's a difference between active insulation and say like a puffy jacket. So active insulation, is it could be something as simple as uh, a mid or heavyweight piece of fleece uh, all the way up to something a little more uh, technical and hybrid, like what we make at SICA called the Kelvin Active Jacket. So all all active insulation does is it provides insulation while you're hiking around and moving, right? So you're generating heat uh, in cold conditions. So it's cold out, you can't walk around in just your base layer. You need a little insulation, you need it to breathe so you don't overheat and, and sweat it out. Um, and that's what active insulation does. Um, pretty much something I'm gonna carry year round. And, you know, sometimes it's at that heavyweight fleece and sometimes it's this just, just hybrid thing. Um, but, you know, it, it's basically just supposed to provide warmth when you're moving. So that's piece four. Now piece five is a little unique to me and what I like to do or, you know, how I like to teach it, but I'm a huge proponent of like a wind or windbreaker jacket. Um, and that could be, you know, something super lightweight uh, without a hood, or it could be a full zip, you know, with a hood, but it's basically just a windbreaker and it blocks the wind. And It's so critical uh, to protect yourself from the wind because when you're sweated up and you're moving, uh, if the wind hits you and it's often windy in the mountains, that that wind is going to strip heat away from your body with convective heat loss. And you can sometimes not be able to hike quick enough to uh generate enough heat to to outweigh the the loss you're gonna have from the wind. So just a light windbreaker is gonna be something that provides you a lot of warmth uh and a little protection from light precipitation with very little weight penalty. And um it's gonna breathe, you know, better than a rain jacket. It's gonna be lighter and quieter than a rain jacket. So if you pick the right one you can stalk in it. Uh you know you can hike in it all day and it's gonna be it's gonna be more enjoyable than hiking around in your rain gear. Um, So piece six is the puffy jacket. And the the puffy jacket is now insulation for when you're static, so when you're not moving. So the active insulation was kind of lighter weight for when you're moving around, it breathes really good. The puffy jacket is this lofted insulation that you put on at your rest breaks, you put on when you're in camp, you put on when you're sitting there glassing and not generating a lot of body heat. Uh, you know, you can wear it to bed to supplement your sleeping bag. And it's just that warm flare that helps dry your clothes out, keep you focused. Uh, you know, I always like ones with the hood and depending on the time of year, like, you know, I own a lot of puffy jackets, but I may take a lightweight puffy jacket in the early season and I may take a really, you know, and that may be synthetic and maybe I'll take a, a treated down heavy Puffy jacket in the late season when it's cold and, and dry, uh, but I always have a puffy jacket in my pant year round. Um, it's that critical. I've seen it uh, save people from you know going into hypothermia because it's going to trap your body heat and just stop it from from evaporating, radiating away from your body. Uh, and it's just worth its weight in gold. And then piece seven and eight are rain jacket and pant. And I like to say that rain jackets and pants rain gears like car insurance. So nobody wants to buy car insurance and nobody wants to buy rain gear. But when you need rain gear, only rain gear is going to work. Um, nothing else is going to work. Nothing else is going to protect you. Nothing else is going to keep you dry. Nothing else is going to save you in a late afternoon storm in the mountains than rain gear. And so, uh, you know, there's more than enough choices of rain gear to make anybody's head spin, um, two layer, three layer, gore tex you know, uh, event, all kinds of different stuff. Just buy the best rain gear you can afford. Make sure it's kind of paired to what you do so it doesn't have to be super heavy, doesn't have to have a lot of bells and whistles, but it just has to be waterproof when you put it on. And so with those eight pieces, uh, either on my body or in my pack I can travel you know all in North America and go hunt uh, pretty much any time of year
2: yeah that's cool man no I was uh, I'm just taking notes here and taking it all in I'm uh, one thing about BC yeah we do have I mean especially when you're hunting in in the high areas say like the Rockies and stuff uh, you know you get those varying temperatures from when you leave it's it's pretty warm but uh, by the time you get up to uh, you know to the mountain peak say you're chasing mountain goats or sheep by the time you get up top it's uh it takes uh it's uh it's it's a whole different temperature and it takes a while for your body to kind of acclimate those different temperatures so
1: yeah 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 absolutely
2: yeah that's uh, so when you
1: go ahead i was gonna say you know even because i get this all the time it's like well you know my dad or my granddad did this or that and it's like yeah they did absolutely they were tough dudes guaranteed right but i bet you if i looked at their stuff it did the similar things that we just discussed. It might've been heavier. It might've been, uh, you know, not as efficient, but you know, it still had to manage moisture. It still had to, uh, you know, keep a guy warm. But if it didn't, then he had to spend more time around the campfire. And so when I'm out there, I'm trying to maximize my time and I don't want to have to sit out a rainstorm. I don't have to sit around a fire, you know, but, but you know, the wools and some of those things, like they they did, they did good jobs. I mean, the only thing that kind of the only rule, so to speak, that I have about clothing for the mountains is just don't wear any cotton. As long as you don't wear any cotton, (laughs) you can, you can kind of make anything else work. Right. And it's just because cotton gets wet quick and it doesn't dry very fast and it's going to set you up for some miserable days and nights and potentially hypothermia
2: yeah and you figure you know i mean i there is those george costanzas out there who they just swear by cotton and they just wear it and you know it you only have to wear it once to realize that it doesn't work not when you're once it's wet it stays wet hard to dry out
1: yeah you can have some miserable nights out wearing cotton so that that's kind of the only quote rule uh everything else is up for fair game you know
2: but uh you know backing up a bit um you mentioned Wool versus synthetic. Now, uh, we're talking merino yeah. wool. And I know a lot yeah. of guys have heard, you know, uh, well, merino wool is the best. And oh, no, no, others say, oh, no, no, synthetic's the best. That's the way to go. So uh, very quickly, what's the difference between the two?
1: Yeah. So first, let me say, if, if anybody tells you that one thing's the best, then they they're either not experienced or they're lying to you because nothing's the best, right? um, what may work well for me may not work as well for you. Uh, I may do something different. I may do it somewhere different or a different time of year. So when it comes to base layer and you have synthetic or wool, it's shooter's choice, right? Um, so here's the pros and cons. The, the, the pros of, uh, merino wool is, uh, it's soft. And so people enjoy the feel of it, right? It's, it's soft next to your skin. Um, it is superior at managing body odor far better than synthetic uh you can you know you and i could be out there for two weeks living in a tent and sweating it up and we're not going to stink nearly as bad wearing merino as we are going to be wearing synthetic so that's definitely a plus um the downside of merino is it's not going to dry as quick as synthetic now, this is where personal choice comes in because, you know, some people sweat a lot. Some people don't sweat a lot. Um, some people don't mind that kind of, uh, that kind of damp, clammy feeling, you know, I like to say Merino almost wants to steam itself dry. If you have like, if you put a puffy jacket on over top of it and it's going to take longer and, uh, you know, back in my, my government days, you know, we would put on, I mean, we'd get shit wet and we'd put on different base layers and we'd time it and we'd, you know, see how long it took to dry and see how long this took to dry and see how long this took to dry. And, uh, and merino's just going to dry. It's just going to take longer to dry. Um, merino's also not going to be as durable as, a, as, as a synthetic, even though the fibers and stuff they're coming out with are, are kind of, we'll call them blended synthetic wool blends. It's getting better. It's just not overall going to be as durable for the same weight. Um, so synthetic is going to be superior at managing moisture. So it's going to be able to pull moisture off your skin and dry quicker, uh, than Merino, but synthetic is absolutely going to stink worse. And sometimes it's going to stink horrendously worse than Merino. Um, no matter what kind of chemical treatments, any of our, any of these companies try to put on it. Right. And a lot of that comes down to, I think people's individual pH and how much they sweat, You know, the stuff we use polygene on our base layers works pretty good for me. Other people, it doesn't work good at all. So, you know, if, if odor management is your issue, then wool is going to be better. If moisture management is your jam, then I would say synthetic, um, synthetics also going to be more durable as a general, as a general rule, and it's going to be a little less expensive. So. You know, I have merino and synthetic and I, I wear merino for some things where I'm not maybe moving around as much and maybe whitetail hunting and, and odors kind of top of my list. And quite frankly, when I'm out moving around the mountains, I really don't care what I smell like. I just want to stay dry. I want my stuff to to dry out when it gets wet. I want to be warm. Um, And so I, I choose to use, you know, synthetic, Um, but there's not one better than the other. They're just different. Um, and so, you know, kind of everybody has to choose what works best for them.
2: Yeah. When I was a younger man, I spent a chunk of my life, um, commercial fishing and we fished off the West coast, oh of yeah, Northern Ber- wow. British Columbia and, uh, our fishery, it ran through the winter months, um, you know, and that job, I mean, it'll it'll test your mental strength and physical ability You're you're awake for 24 plus hours at a time. And you're always cold. You're always wet with sweat and salt water. And, you know, you're out for two to three weeks at a time. And, you know, I lived in Merino wool when I was doing that. So, um, and, you know it's funny. I use the exact same stuff I wore underneath when I was fishing as I, as I do when I'm up like chasing mountain goats or up in the Rocky mountains. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. Um, well, see people like, see people like wool, so as so the the thing you just described where you're you're commercial fishing so you know you're moving you're working your ass off for sure right um and you're generating heat i'm sure under that you know non-breathable rain gear um but you know merino and and depending on what lab testing you look at people will tell you that merino actually does have a chemical reaction that keeps you you know, that generates some heat when it's damp and, and some people, some, some testing will tell you it doesn't. But either way, when people wear it and it's damp and they're working, they feel like they're warm. When you do the same thing wearing synthetic, because synthetic moves moisture so quickly and tries to dry, it almost feels like you're cooling off. And that cooling off is, it's actually moisture evaporating away from your skin. So um, again, there's no right or wrong it's just what you prefer, you know, and um, yeah, because God, I, th- I thought you were going to tell me you were wearing like cotton underwear or something, which <laughs> I'm sure you were wearing a cotton hoodie, right? You were wearing a cotton hoodie, weren't you? Let's be honest. You had to be wearing a cotton hoodie.
2: Uh, yeah, I I might have been, <laughs> but I don't remember. I yeah. just know my... Uh, but
1: at least you had those Merino base layers on.
2: Oh, yeah. And we ha- I used to wear these we used to call them Bama booties and they're made of wool and man, they ever worked good for wicking your sweat out of your feet. But I mean, you know, commercial fishing oh, yeah. in, in uh, Northern BC and, you know, December, January, the wind's blowing and you're always wet. So it was, uh, it was that a job. Lifespan. That
1: job will kill you. That job will kill you.
2: Yeah. yeah it's tough. But but see, it's...
1: Now, now go ahead.
2: Oh I was just going to say that job's tough it's definitely something you know I did it for for nearly 10 years and after that my wow I, I figured if uh, if I don't get out of it and move down to somewhere a little sunnier it's uh it's uh my body's not keeping
1: yeah yeah but see now you you mentioned hat and gloves or or gloves and socks I guess and so for socks like I think wool is I think wool is superior you can find some good synthetic socks but generally wool is going to kind of dominate there um, and, uh, you know, most of the mountain boots we wear, if not all the mountain boots, like none of them are really going to dry from the inside out. Your feet are going to sweat. So you want a sock that really manages moisture. Well, keeps your foot warm, kind of keeps its loft. So it doesn't break down and give you blisters. So I think wool, you know, are, are superior to, to synthetic for socks. Again, they're both, both a work. And then a lot of times for gloves, I tend to like, uh, thin wool liner gloves, um, next to my skin because it's almost impossible to keep gloves dry so you know they're going to get wet and if they get wet you know you kind of want to still be able to use them and so wool tends to do pretty good for for gloves and socks um even beanies you're right or tokes I think you call them up there but um again it, it's it's personal it's personal preference right
2: yeah yeah I get it yeah I, I took. Uh... Uh, a pair of your guys' Sitka gloves out last year on uh, on my goat hunt, man, were they nice, nice and warm, and they're always dry. I can't remember which gloves they were, but they're in the subline. Were they like a? Or, were they like a, a,
1: Yeah, like a thinner glove, like maybe the Traverse gloves.
2: Yeah, they could have been. They're uh, they had the they got black padding on the hands, and they're not too thick. Oh, my, those, my, are the, my,
1: those are the mountain gloves.
2: Yeah, yeah, my hands. I can't wear them. Really thick gloves. I'd rather my hands be a little cold. And I find yeah. too, if I, if, if my core is, is warm, my hands will stay a little warmer and I just don't like my hand, my hands sweat really easy. So I don't like them being too, too, too warm and sweaty. I'd rather them be, yeah. you know, right at the cusp of being cold and, and dry rather than wet and or warm and sweaty. So,
1: yeah, well, no, it's true. If you're, so if your core is warm, obviously that's where all your internal organs are. So if your core is warm, your body's going to keep, pushing blood out to your extremities, your hands and feet, your head, ears, nose, that kind of thing. It's when you start getting really cold that your body's going to go into this survival mode. And it's not, it's going to want to keep the organs in your brain working. And it's not going to want to pump blood out right to your extremities. So that's, that's where you start getting cold hands and feet. So if you can keep your core warm with a vest or a wind or whatever, puffy jacket, like, and it sounds like you're, you got good circulation anyway, especially if you're commercial fishing for 10 years. But, um, but yeah, you're going to keep that blood moving. Your hands are going to be warm. And yeah, those gloves you're talking about are the mountain gloves. And so those are, uh, just a little fleece lined inside, but they're wind stoppers. So they block the wind. And so just by blocking the wind on your hands, even though they're not thick, they're going to, they're going to keep you pretty warm.
2: Yeah, they did the trick for sure. They've done, uh, that was yeah, the first year cool. I, I ran them and, uh, yeah, I loved them. Couldn't say enough about them, but, uh, you know, there's, you, you kind of went over the, you know, this, you broke it down into, you know, eight steps or eight pieces here, which is, which is great. Now though, I, I know a lot of people say, well, you know, that's it's spring's going to be different from the, you know, early archery season of elk or mule deer, or, um, you know, that's in the end of August or September. And then that's going to be different than October. And then moving on to, you know, chasing whitetails and in later November, um now you with your background and you know what works what doesn't work and you know obviously with your navy background you know what what you need to survive and and you vetted all this stuff by trial and error so would you be able to kind of like just walk us through what you wear through for each season for so like so spring bear what are you wearing for like a sitka you know you don't have to get into you know why you're wearing it but if you just kind of like say what you're wearing Uh, you know for terms of base layers if you are wearing base layers and then you know in september obviously you're going to be wearing something that's more lighter and it's uh you know cooler and and breeze a little better and then moving on to like october november sort of thing
1: yeah yeah so so let me back up just a minute um so you only need eight pieces in it to build a technical clothing system but i'm not saying that you only so if you if if you're strapped for cash you can buy those eight pieces that I talked about. But if you're gonna take a system and wanna go from say August to December, you're still gonna have eight pieces, but the pieces will change. So as an example, your puffy jacket in the early season may be a lightweight puffy jacket, but then for the late season, you're gonna trade the light puffy jacket out for a heavy puffy jacket, right? So you technically will own two, but you're only, you only need to carry eight pieces or wear eight pieces into the field. So for me, my base layer, no matter what time of year is always going to be the same. Now I personally like a synthetic base layer. Uh, but again, it really doesn't matter, but I like, uh, you know, uh, a really lightweight base layer. Um, let's say somewhere around the you know, 120 to 150 gram, if you want to get technical, like weight. Um, and, and no matter what time of year I'm wearing that, that's the foundation that never changes. Um, that always goes next to my skin. And then anything else I put on goes over top of that. So I always wear a synthetic base layer, uh, top and bottom. If I'm not wearing the bottoms cause it's hot out and this say I have a boxer on, I'll bring the bottoms. Cause you know, in the Rocky Mountains, even in the in August, it can snow. Um, so that's that's one. Now, my pants, I always wear a pair of soft shell pants. You could probably buy one pair of soft shell pants and use them all year. Um, because you just pick something that's you know, kind of a midweight kind of pant, and you don't wear any base layer underneath it in the early season, and then you wear a heavyweight base layer underneath them in the late season but you can get away with uh with one pair of pants now of course for me i like to wear a really lightweight nylon pair in in the early season um kind of like chasing antelope and maybe some high country mule deer because they're durable they're super breathable and then for that kind of september october elk uh mule deer season for archery i like to wear kind of a kind of a midweight pant that's, that's quiet, right. To like get in close. So I'll, like we have a pant called the apex pant. Uh, I love the apex pant for, for archery hunting. It's kind of that midweight weight pants. Um, and then depending on what I'm doing, I may keep that apex pant on the entire rest of the year. Uh, unless I'm going on like some really kind of late season hunt where I'm maybe getting on and off uh, snow machines or ATVs, or, uh, I don't do a lot of horseback hunting, but maybe even horseback, I may step up to, uh, just a slightly thicker pant for the late season, um, that maybe has a waterproof, you know, seat on it. Cause I'm going to be sitting down on wet rocks and wet saddles and, and wet seats, um, so, you know, I may own three different pairs of soft shell pants, depending on the time of year, I'm going to pick which one. Um, my, my wind stopper is the same, no matter what time of year, I just like a light hooded wind stopper jacket, no insulation, just something I can ball up, stick in a cargo pocket. I can put it on. I can take it off while I'm hiking at a stopping at a break. Um, you know, it's so windy in the mountains sometimes that you may just run around the whole trip wearing a windstopper jacket. And then my active insulation, uh, I keep the same active insulation the same all year because um, it's something I'm just gonna put on and, and run around. And the only difference is sometimes I'm wearing just my active insulation jacket or sometimes I'm just wearing the windstopper jacket, but in the winter, or as it gets super cold, I'll just put them on and wear them together. I'll just wear the wind stopper jacket and the active insulation together. But they're the same no matter what time of year. And then my puffy jacket, again, I think I talked about that. I've, I'm gonna run a really lightweight puffy in the early season. I'm gonna run a midweight synthetic puffy in the late or the mid-season. And I'm gonna run a, a thick, warmer, down puffy for, for winter. Um, so I, yeah, I own three different puffy jackets, but I just pick one based on the weather. And then my rain gear pretty much stays the same year round, right? Cause my rain gear just needs to be lightweight. It just needs to be in my pack. It's not something I want to leave behind cause it's taking up too much weight or space in my pack. All it needs to do is block rain and snow and block some wind. It's all it needs to do. So, you know, you don't need to switch out a whole lot of layers. Now, the only thing in addition, if you're going really late season is you may want to bring a pair of puffy pants. Um, it's a little bit of a specialty thing, but it's something that I use quite a bit when it starts getting cold. I mean, hell, I've even been in, you know, middle of Alberta and late October glass and mule deer, and it's been cold as hell and windy. And I'll just sit there and glass and a pair of puffy pants and a puffy jacket and, uh, even start the stock wearing them and then strip them off as I move in to close the distance. But, you know, that may be the, a specialty piece, or maybe you bring a pair of mittens, but, but for the most part, you know, you're still looking at, you only need eight pieces of, of clothing to kind of get you through.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I found, I used those, their Timberland pant this year and those things are awesome. Exactly. And so that's that late those,
1: season pant I was talking to you about. Yeah.
2: Yeah, but you know, I started using those. I went uh like for I went hunting goat um, in the Rockies uh, late September. Uh-huh. I, I was using those. I was chasing mule deer end of October. Was using those. Late season whitetail. I used that and uh, the incinerator jacket. Oh, using those. nice. Yeah. And cougar hunting all january used those same pants and really all that yep. like i wore my, my merino base layer and then i just had another i just insulated over top my merino with a, just a, a little thicker um uh like a long john style sort of pant yep. it was a, it's just a synthetic it wasn't Sitka, it was something else but uh and uh-huh. i had those timberland pants no problem all year and, you know, like I put those things through hell. And like, when I go, if I'm on a hunt, like, you know, the seven day goat hunt, I had those pants and I only take one pair of pants and I, I just take basically one of everything. And I take two pairs of socks. Yes. But, you know, I yep. run one pair of underwear, my base layers and my, and my gear. And, you know, and that said, I don't have three pairs of pants in my bag. So, and those things, man, those things are awesome. Can't say enough about those.
1: I have, uh, I have guides you know, professional outfitters, professional guide friends, and they'll put 200 days a year on a pair of Timberline pants easy. And they're getting, they're getting two and three years out of a one pair of Timberline pants. And um, they're awesome. I know a lot of guys down here in in the West that will use them in September for archery. They're a little bit too warm for me for archery hunting. But again, that's my point. You can find one pair of soft shell pants that you like, and just use them all year, and just put more base layer underneath them, you know, um, yeah. if you need to. But you know, because everybody runs a little different, you know, some yeah. people run a little hotter than others.
2: Yeah, um, yeah, those Apex pants. That's what I use when you know for archery elk, and in the yeah. later later season of you know, like in the June, you know, the next coming month or the next month there for June spring bear, I'll, I'll wear the Apex pant just because they're a little lighter um yep yeah so those are really great but the timberland pants like the years before i had uh i wore the grinder pant and what was the other one Uh i wore Um, but (laughs) i mean the timberland pants those are just they're just awesome so
1: well and i i love that they have that waterproof seat and knees especially when there's snow around or you know Mm -hmm. wet seats and things wet saddles and just keeps you dry and um but man they're durable real durable
2: yeah like I said, I, I wore them on a lot of hunts and, you know, from September to all the way till the end of end of January. And there's a lot of hard hunts in there. Um, a lot of trekking through a lot of wicked bush. And yeah, they're just, they held up so good. I was super impressed with them. I had the knee pads in on the first trip and then I, I didn't really like them. So I took them out. But I mean, that's just anybody's personal choice. I got them in that lead color, which is, yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And yeah. They, but, you they,
1: know, that's why we make the, the knee pads removable, so yeah, you know, sure. if, you, if you want them, you can put them in. If you don't, you can take them out, you can switch them out. I'll run different, I'll run some aftermarket knee pads in mine on occasion, but um, yeah, but it gives you the option,
2: yeah, definitely, yeah, no, but uh, yeah, John, anyway, you know, I, I feel you know, with your knowledge, I can sit down here all day and bug you about you know, survival techniques, uh, you know, um backpack weight boots you know building a wet fire tent sleeping bags moisture waking you know <laughs> uh the the list of your oh, we knowledge can
1: do more than one of these
2: <laughs> yeah um the list of your knowledge you know it uh, it goes on and on so yeah maybe uh maybe we can get you back on the show here and we can pick your brain some more
1: yeah you know i i think uh so first of all i'd, I'd enjoy that but you know second of all it's like you know, I think we're human beings are really good at making things kind of more complicated sometimes than they are. And, you know, I think because I was able to teach and I was able to see how people kind of processed information, um, and you have to kind of refine your message that, you know, you can really start boiling it down to kind of the basics. And it's, when you do that, it's, it's not as complicated as it seems at first, right? Like, I don't want to discount like clothing. Like, yeah, there's so many brands out there and so many different pairs of pants and puffy jackets. I get it. That can be, that can be confusing, but at least when people start to go, Oh, I only need to start with eight pieces. I can, I can afford that, you know um, you know, and we can dive into all that, you know, at a later date or whatever, but, um, but it just gives people a great place to start. And they don't have to be so overwhelmed because I think people just they don't know where to start sometimes. And I think yeah. that's just disappointing, um, you know, or, they'll, you know, or they'll take my recommendation or your recommendation. Like and that's great. That's another great place to start. But um, but they think, oh, my gosh, like I'm going to need all this stuff. And, you know, I mean, Sika sells a lot of stuff and it I know it can get confusing, but man, out of all that stuff, if you only had to cherry pick eight pieces, you'd be really set.
2: Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's why, uh, you know, with my intention was, was talking to you was, uh, not just for the listener, but for myself as well. You know, I, uh, it's, it's good to, I, again, yeah, like you said, I mean, there's a lot to absorb and it can be definitely be overwhelming when you're looking at this and be like, Oh, what do I need? And you know, it's not cheap. So you don't want to just buy one of everything. Right. So, um, exactly. it's, it's really, yeah. Yeah. I really like that how you break it down and, and, you know, into the eight pieces. So it makes it, makes it understandable for, you know, the, the average hunter, he can, he can uh, comprehend it. And it's also something now he's looking at and be like, okay, well maybe now I don't need one of everything. I only need eight. Right. Or, you know, he can, right. Even right. Even with that, he can, you know, he can build it. And like you said, it's a foundation, you know, it's just your foundation. You work, start with a good foundation. And you work from there. So um yeah. no. Yeah. But, uh,
1: I think if somebody, uh, you know, if somebody has, no matter what the brand, if somebody has like a decent enough base layer, synthetic wool, whatever, like if you got that, like, don't worry about that. Like use that, use what you've got. Like I would say the couple things I would invest in is, you know, a good pair of soft shell pants. I'd invest in a good puffy jacket and I'd invest in, you know, a decent set of rain gear because those are the things that are really going to kind of save your life and protect you. Right or in the case of the soft shell pants, you're going to just wear them, you know, every day you're out there hunting. So those are good investments. Um, cause people say, Oh man, like I really need to go and start buying base layers. Like if you got limited money and you have an okay base layer, like that's it's, it's good. It's good. Like just start there. Don't, don't go buy something special as long as it's not cotton, you know? Um, And, and so then you're like, okay, well now I only really have to invest in three or four pieces of gear Mm -hmm. because everything else I have will work. It's just a good place to start. And you're going to be far better off than, than if you didn't do it, you know? And I mean, how many pairs of pants have you and I mentioned today, you know, grinder pants, Timberline pants, apex pants, they're all awesome pants. Any one of them could be the pants. Um, but you know. I'm sure you're just like me. You get, you get kind of bored and you love gear and you want to try something different. And so you end up with a bunch of pants, but the reality is one pair will do you just fine.
2: Oh yeah. Well, that's uh, every birthday, Christmas and father's day. Is something, right?
1: <laughs> exactly. But,
2: uh, exactly. Yeah. But it's like you said, I mean, like myself, I wear the same base layers that I wore in, you know, almost 20 years, over 20 years ago, when I was commercial fishing, I wear the same stuff. And there I'll, you go. What it's not, obviously it's not as good, but I mean that stuff's nostalgic to me, right? It's like, well, and you got works.
1: confidence in it.
2: Yeah, it yep. works and I've used it and it's, you know, for me it's so comfortable. I mean, it's uh, it's getting to the point where it's it's uh, not looking so great, but I mean, you know, it's like <laughs> uh it's like your old jock strap and hockey, right? You don't want to let it go. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. But, uh, you know, John, uh, again, uh, thanks for taking some time with me today. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you go and, uh, I'm gonna keep bugging you to come back on the podcast here. So, uh, you know, I'm gonna put all your links to, up all the links, uh, for yourself, uh, you know, in the show notes here and I'll put all the sitka information down and I'd like to, um, break down, you know, this eight pieces you said. I'm gonna maybe do a little, little blog or something about that. But, uh, real quickly for the listeners, what's your handle on, uh, Instagram?
1: Yeah. So it's uh Jay Barklow. So B-A-R-K-L-O-W just at J Barclow.
2: and yep. uh, tons we'll of go good on videos there on there.
1: Bunch of, a bunch of videos. Yep.
2: That's great. Yep. That's great. Okay, sir. Thanks a ton. And, uh, and again, yeah, I look forward to future chats and learning some more, uh, some more survival techniques and stuff from the master.
1: I- anytime, Kevin, you just let me know.
2: Okay. We'll talk to you later. Thanks. Eh? All right.